We have a brief reading from Ephesians, just a couple of verses. This is one of Paul's prayers. Uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, wrote the book of Ephesians to the early church. And we're, we're kind of in this prayer series this fall, tracking with this book by Alistair Begg on prayer. And it's especially focusing on two significant prayers of Paul in Ephesians. We're just going to read a couple of verses of the prayer that we have from him in Ephesians 1. Let's uh, listen to God's holy and infallible word. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So, in our church this fall, we're, we've been moving forward in light of our September Mission of the Church series, right? That we'd grow more devotional, uh, more relational, and more aspirational. Those are the three strategic pillars uh, that we're committed to building up here at faith. Uh, they're, they're pictured in the banners on the sides of the sanctuary these days. Well, the point of this prayer series, Praying Deep and Wide, is that we would grow devotionally, that we grow in our prayer life. Also, thinking of the mission of the church by praying to God, by asking for His help, we're acknowledging that to build up God's church here, to accomplish his mission for faith church, our resolve is too feeble, our own resources are too flimsy, and our righteousness is too flawed. In other words, we can't accomplish God's will and God's mission on our own. And so we acknowledge our great need for him. We ask for his help in prayer, in our lives certainly, but especially we're thinking about our church these days. And so we pray to him to do what he has ordained to do in our midst. And uh, we're moving forward here in this book by Alistair Begg, these two prayers in Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit for all Christians since. So far, we've seen the call to dive into the deep end of the pool in terms of our prayer requests, to maybe not care quite as much about more surface and shallow matters like our circumstances, but instead, whatever our circumstances in life, to be praying about the deeper stuff, that we might be serving the Lord and others wherever we are, that in our lives we might be prioritizing God's name, God's kingdom, God's glory, that's the type of stuff 
that we see Paul praying for and about. And that's going deeper in terms of our, our prayer requests and our petitions. We also talked about having the eyes of our hearts wide open and not being lulled by the devil to having our souls asleep in prayer and in Christian living. That's certainly what he wants. He wants to lull us to sleep, to get us off track. And so we pray that we would have our eyes wide open as, as Paul prays in Ephesians. So he says in Ephesians 1 at verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that's the eyes wide open thing, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So hope today. With Christian hope, we can dig deeper in prayer. Without this hope, it's like you're digging with a plastic spoon in terms of getting to depth in prayer. But biblical hope is like a solidly built, pointed gardening shovel, a spade. I'm not talking about the little hand spade, but the one, the tall spades that you need two arms. That's going to cut through even the toughest of ground to dig a perfect hole for planting. And the hope of Christian prayer is a marvelous tool, this spade, because for one, it's grounded in the promises of our God. The way most people use hope is very different from how the Bible uses the word hope. Regular hope, typical hope, is an I hope so hope. I hope the stock market's going to be strong. I hope my, my health stays good for many years. I hope it doesn't rain for the campout we're planning. I hope the Blackhawks win the game. The way we usually talk about hope is talking about something in the future that we can only guess about and that we really have no idea about whether or not it will happen. Our typical hope is filled with an uncertainty, in other words. It's like a plastic spoon that breaks the minute it receives any type of pressure as it's going into hard ground. But biblical hope, Christian hope, doesn't have this uncertainty. It's strong, it's solid, it's sure, and it can handle tough ground and lots of pressure. Biblical hope is an assurance of realities that we are already now experiencing and will one day experience perfectly. It's secure, it breeds confidence in life, and with this hope, we can even face death. When you go to a secular funeral, you're not going to find the hope that Christians have. And, and that's why secular funerals can often be more like a party or just like fond memories of someone's life and reflecting on the happy moments. 
There, there can be a real avoiding of looking death and the grave square in the eye because there's a desire and a need to cover up the feelings of hopelessness that are there at a funeral like that. Well, why, why are secular funerals like that? Why is there hopelessness? Why is there no hope? Well, it's because there's no God. There's no God. If an unbeliever dies, and if the family members and friends are also unbelievers, God isn't there for them. Ephesians 2.12 makes that connection, saying that all of us were once separated from Jesus, without hope and without God in the world. But, we read in 4 and 5 of chapter 2, that God came to us while we were still strangers and foreigners and sinners in his great mercy and made we who were dead in our transgression alive in Christ. He saved us. He raised us up with Christ. No God, no hope. But no God and you no hope. There's hope when you know God because when we know God, we know his promises and we can ground our life in them and in him. These promises of God were formulated in eternity in God's plan and more important even than the creation itself that he was planning were his promises that he was planning for his own people. And then those promises were all written down in his word for us to read and for us to stand on. And in the Bible, we have the record of God's faithfulness from Genesis to Revelation, God's faithfulness to his promises, despite the unfaithfulness of people who time and again break their promises to love and serve him. God's promises are the foundation of the hope of Christian prayer that we have. And so hope for the Christian is not the typical everyday hope. It's not an I hope so hope, but it's a solid reality. It's a tool that the Holy Spirit gives us. God calls us to pray to him in his word. Jesus teaches us to pray. Well, why is that? It's because there's this eternal and created relationship between humankind and God, a covenant relationship. That's his design, a relationship with us. Prayer, talking with God, is at the heart of our covenant relationship. And, and so to have hope, you need God, and you need to know God, and it, it just makes sense. He's the creator of all things. He's sovereignly ruling over all things. He's almighty, and in relationship with him, knowing him, standing on his promises, that is where hope is found, and that's where it's ground. Now, a little deeper, we can also say that the hope of Christian prayer is rooted in the works of Jesus Christ. It's more than only knowing there is a God and that there's hope in him, but it's having this hope absolutely secure and rooted through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, during 
pretty much all of my teenage years, I lived in Southern California, and, and you know, there, there, there can be earthquakes there, but there's not much bad weather otherwise. Like, there aren't tornadoes, and there aren't lots of storms. Um, the rare times there were storms and high winds, I recall that a good number of trees would come down. Palm trees, right, they have notoriously sort of wispy, narrow roots that just spread out horizontally. And that's very different than many of the trees in the Midwest, which have roots that tend to go very deep and be thicker. Uh, They've grown to be able to withstand the strong storms and winds that are a lot more common around here compared to Southern California. At my parents' home outside of Allegan, Michigan, there are a few oak trees that are just massive, and their root system is, you could see they're thick, they're deep. They've been through dozens and dozens of storms, and they don't even really ever seem phased by the strong winds. A deep-rooted hope will help us in the winds and storms too. And it starts with knowing God and being grounded in Him, knowing that He's our Creator. He created us to have a relationship with Him. But more than that, because we are by nature promise breakers, we need to be rooted in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to live a life in perfect relationship with God his Father, as the perfect promise keeper. He died, he rose again to restore our relationship with the Father, and that relationship brings hope and security and salvation. We read in 1 Peter that God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who's planted by streams of water. Jeremiah says that that person doesn't have to fear a year of drought because he has roots that go toward the stream. In Jesus, we are a tree planted with deep roots. We're by a stream. We don't have to fear the circumstances of life. They don't have to knock you down you're going to be okay. That's the deep-rooted hope that we come to God in our prayers with. All of God's promises are ours because of the work of Jesus. And so rooted in Jesus, with the strength of hope in Him, we can face anything, even our, our death one day, because it's an eternal hope. It's a resurrection from the dead kind of hope. Thinking of this hope, even in the face of death and the grave, uh, makes me think of it being Veterans Day weekend, uh, and it's Veterans Day tomorrow, and it reminded me and made me think of what I'd heard about one of our veterans from our church, uh, Tom Allen, a dear brother who God called home just a little over a year ago, a year and like 10 days ago, so not that long ago. Did you know that when he served in Vietnam, they called on Tom for special missions? 
dangerous ones, to lead the way because they knew how courageous Tom was. And why was he so courageous? Well, everyone knew the reason why. Because he was a believer. And he had this hope that people who didn't know God did not have. He had this hope that he'd be with Jesus if he died. He had that living hope. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. Thinking of of Tom and and thinking of those of us who have this living hope, I, 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 I think of people who don't have this rooted living hope. You want to ask them, well, then what's your plan, you know, in life and in death? If your hope is not Jesus... What is your plan when you die? What's your plan for that appointment with God that every person is going to have when they pass from this life to the next? It makes you think, too, how could anyone say, well, my wife is into that Jesus stuff, but not me. It's not for me. But then you want to ask, well, okay, then what is for you, friend? What's your plan? What's your hope then? And it's kind of like if, if the love of God doesn't get someone off the fence of straddling a fence to make a decision for Jesus, well then, hopefully, maybe the fear of death without hope will help someone get on the right side of the fence. God is is seeking people to come into a real, hope-filled relationship with him through Jesus. And he comes to find lost sinners. If you're someone this morning who's, who's, who's straddling the fence, let's say maybe you're an older person who's straddling the fence and you don't know this hope, you haven't embraced it. Maybe a simple word of faith that your grandkid says God will use in your life to prick your heart. If you're, maybe if you're, you're not an older person, you're a, a younger person, and, and you haven't called out to Jesus yet, well, maybe it's a word of faith that someone older in Christian maturity says to you, or it's something that a friend who is a believer says to you about the Lord that finally makes an impact. Or maybe someone who's been in grief or in suffering and you can see that they're so clearly and miraculously well-rooted in their storms and that they testify by just their life, maybe their words too, to the real and trustworthy love and hope that they've experienced all the way through their struggles and storms. And, and, and that maybe that makes someone want to say, man, I want that. I need that hope. I don't know what would happen if, if the storms of life hit me. I'm sure I'd fall right over. God comes to people 
in, in many different ways, through his word, through people around us, through family and friends, uh, through, through books, through a radio or, or TV program. Uh, but we're called, we're invited to reach out for that hope that he's holding out for us. And so let's be sure that we ask God to open our heart eyes wide to see the hope. Because the devil is doing everything in his power to keep people's eyes blind to the hope. And I truly believe that he's working overtime in the church to lull people to sleep who have grown up in the church their whole lives, but yet are missing Jesus the Jesus who has been shared and proclaimed with them and has been right in front of them all along. But the devil works hard that we would keep our eyes closed. And so let's pray against the devil's work that the eyes of all our hearts would stay wide open to Jesus, to his hope. And ultimately, our hearts are where it's at. Um, the hope of Christian prayer finally this morning, is implanted in the hearts of believers. That biblical center of our being, our life, the center of our faith, our hearts, that's where the Holy Spirit plants this hope. It's so deep, it's so secure, that nothing can take it away from you. We ultimately need Him to do the implanting, but the Bible also calls us to embrace it to have soft hearts to receive it, uh, and, and to have our eyes wide open uh, to be able to see what a treasure this biblical hope is. And so we pray for soft hearts, we pray for open eyes, we pray for open hands to receive this gift from the Holy Spirit. And then grounded in the Lord, rooted in Jesus, implanted with a living hope deep down, we pray with this sure hope for God's kingdom to come when all of our needs, our desires, our expectations for this life that are unmet here, when that kingdom comes, they're all going to be met. They're all going to be fulfilled. And we pray for kingdom hope to come right now in our lives too, in our midst, in our church, that, that we would live, that we'd pray with a rooted deep down faith and that through us, through our church, uh, those around us in this world would experience more than an I hope so hope, but that sure, biblical, Christian, living hope. Amen. I'm going to conclude our uh, message with... Uh, a, a, a prayer that's in this uh, book on prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm often fearful and I'm tempted to look for fulfillment and security in things that promise but do not deliver. Help me to deal with experiences of disappointment, defeat, and sadness as one who has been reborn to a living hope by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that this sure and certain hope stands the test of time and strengthens me as each day demands. O oh Lord, let me see the certainty and the glory of the hope to which you've called me. Let calm and confidence 
flow from that Lord in my life. For Jesus' sake, amen.